Hi, I'm Dr. Lisa Dunn, and thanks for joining me here today on The Communication Architect. Each week, we'll share content that will empower you to grow your personal leadership capacity through the development of communication competencies that build emotional health and relational resilience. We'll unpack some practical applications of interpersonal, intrapersonal, family, and organizational communication. And we'll connect with stories of transformation that will inspire you to achieve personal and social change. Now, let's build the scaffolding you need to become a communication architect. Hello, everyone, and welcome to today's show. I'm Dr. Lisa Dunn, and I am so excited about our content today. If you're new to the show, we're in a season where we're unpacking American education. So be sure to scroll back on my podcast for some tips on breaking free from the system, on getting started in the parent-directed journey, on interviews with new and lifelong homeschoolers, and a whole host of research that I hope will equip and inspire you for the road ahead. Well, we've been talking about the 12 toxic traits of the public school system, which I've explained in my book, Outsourced, Why America's Kids Need an Education Revolution. And parents, we want you to know that you can break free of the system. As Gatto said, government monopoly schools are structurally unreformable. Parents, we don't need to mend them. We need to end them. You can break free and we can help. Well, today we are interviewing David Hazel, the founder of My Father's World Curriculum. And we're so excited to hear more about what he and his wife, Maria, have been doing around the globe since 1987. Welcome to the show, Mr. Hazel. Thank you very much. It's very nice. I'm very appreciative of being with you, Dr. Dunn. Tell us a little bit about your, your journey and how you kind of shared the load with both parents. Yeah, well, first of all, our journey, it started in the 80s when we were just having kids. Even before we started having kids, we started investigating. We were already aware that the public schools were a toxic place to be. Uh, my wife had taught in them, and um, so we knew what we were looking for, and we came across uh, a conference by uh, uh, no, Susan Schaefer McCauley uh, and her book, For the Children's Sake, and that really changed us to thinking about how children learn, which we knew, but we just really helped us focus on getting that ready, and um, we... Uh, we began ha- began having kids. My wife did work for a small Christian school at the time. And during that working with the Christian school, I had some of the homeschool load on my, um, on my plate. And uh, she was working in a Christian school. And then she started writing curriculum for the Christian school. Really what we were writing for is we really felt like every small church should have a one-room schoolhouse. Yes. Uh, ba- back in the 1980s, nobody thought that. It was either big, expensive Christian schools or uh, this kind of new journey in homeschool, and we just really felt churches could solve the problem. So we wrote a one-room schoolhouse curriculum. She did. She started writing a curriculum at her school that she was at wow. that could be that was hands-on and multi-central and unit approach, things that hadn't been happening at that time. Yes. Um, and uh, she really came up with a, a, a phenomenal kindergarten program uh, she was teaching in a multi-age classroom in first and second grade, um, and that was an interesting challenge while I was homeschooling um, some. And uh, and then we left and went to Russia for eight years, and the uh, homeschool market took off without us, and mm-hmm. we were kind of in a position to have our kids both in public schools in, Christ- in, in Russia and homeschooling them in English. We learned a lot about how devastating public schools can be. Mm-hmm. Um, even more so 
in a communist country. Wow. Um, and uh, and we came back in the uh, around the year 2000 and our 1998 or so our kindergarten began taking off publicly and we wrote and wrote and wrote and by about 2014 15 we had written uh, basically preschool through um, 12th grade uh, all with the idea of a multi-age curriculum that could be used in a one-room schoolhouse at a home school micro school homeschool hybrid uh, we just wrote from a completely different approach. And the biggest thing we did that no one else did is we really felt like Bible was the core of our Christian education. Yes. We say we're Christians. This is what we, we, we need to teach. The Bible tells us in Psalm 78 that it's our responsibility right. to teach our kids the laws of the Lord so that they're passed on to the children not yet born and their children. That's right. So it's five generations if you look at Psalm Oof, 78. That's so uh, good. Or Deuteronomy 6 yes. basically saying we need to be teaching them at all times when they lie down and when they get up. And uh, I know for a lot of people that means only at home, but to us it means parent-directed contact with others, other godly people. Yes. Whether, you know, kind of in a Hebraic method, mm. it was okay to have the local rabbi uh, be a part of that process. Um, so we really wanted to make sure that the curriculum that we were writing um, was versatile mm-hmm. in, first of all, taking the strengths of as many different programs as possible, whether that be a unit study, classical education, which is often misunderstood because most of our American education is built on Greco-Roman Catholic mm-hmm. uh, classical, which is a man is the center of the world mm-hmm. classical unintentionally we've absorbed that into our programs. We are a Hebraic classical Mm. where the Bible and God created the world. And so it's about God's interaction with man, not the man God, not the God's man creates. So our focus is going to be first studying the God that created us and his relationship with Mm. us and how he deals us when we create other gods. Powerful. We are speaking the same language. the The idea of churches having this one room schoolhouse that the church is the solution. Parents and churches working together. You are your visionaries and pioneers, and obviously you saw this coming way before where we're standing at this precipice. I love that a book for for the children's sake that that influenced you, mentored you, spoke to your heart in such a way that now you're writing books that speak to the hearts of the next generations. I I love that model. And preschool to 12th grade, we definitely need to reclaim education. I love, I love how you explained um, the differences in the classical model too. We may need to come back and talk more about that uh, in another show because that's really powerful. And we do see a lot of that movement toward classical education, but parents, a lot of times because of what they've been ingrained with in their own education systems, miss this key element of wisdom beginning with the fear of the Lord. And if we're not depositing that in the hearts of our children that everything that they're going to do is based on a spirit of folly. So let's talk a little bit about My Father's World, um, how it's different from other curricula. You know, you're, you talked a little bit about your, your, your mission and starting it, but what are some distinctives between My Father's World and other all-inclusive curricula for homeschoolers? Well, first of all, again, we will, I'm going to focus, I'm going to start with Hebraic classical education being that there's an integrated biblical worldview from the beginning. So we basically tore down all of academics and said, let's, what would God want us to teach our kids? And at what age would he want us to teach it? Um, 
so we kind of took the um, there is a the classical modic model of grammar, logic, and rhetoric. Um, we really wanted it to be more ups, uh, uh, obtainable, so we call it discover children, a time of discovery for children, mm. then investigation, a time of investigating more details and why, and then followed by declare, which is that high school speaking out the truths that you've learned. Um, we really are trying to, so one of the things that we did is we actually laid out a variety of different curriculums, Charlotte Mason's idea, classical education, unit studies, uh, literature approaches, Montessori. And we said, what are their strengths and weaknesses? And on top of using them on the Bible, we took their strengths because one strength would often um, overcome a different weakness. Uh, so somebody says, well, I use living books only. And it, well, that's great. You can lose living books. We want you to use living books. We recommend more living books than most curriculums do. We have a great library list in the back mm-hmm. of over 400 taught thematically organized red cover to cover safe books for kids um, that we can put in book basket. But the reality is you can get lots of living books on the Greeks, the Egyptians, the Romans. How many can you find on the Babylonians and the Philistines? Mm. Wow, so good. those that use living books will often mm. skip entire societies as a part of it because they don't have a living book to tell the story. So what we do is we clip out of a textbook the parts that you can't find elsewhere so that the information doesn't get lost on the timeline. Wow, powerful. Um, that would be an approach. We we kind of look at the four corners um, of... of uh, classical education, Charlotte Mason, unit studies, and textbooks. And we said, okay, we really want to hit the closest to the center of this chart as possible, combining them all and relying least on textbooks because textbooks are dry and boring. So we're going to push up out of that a little bit, but try to grab those other three corners and and make sure we're covering everything. So powerful. Wow, just I love the I love the research-based approach and what you're adding to the mix, really seeing the distinctives emerging right there. Can you talk a little bit about your synergy groups and specifically how those will flow into high school? Obviously, we know a lot of people um, leave the parent-directed movement in high school. How how does what you've done, especially from that research base, how does that impact high school students and, and what would be the recommendation there with synergy yeah. groups? So Our synergy groups actually began for the second through eighth graders, which allowed, um, and it's not a co-op because most co-ops add more material to a homeschooler's week. And we said, no, we want our synergy groups to withdraw some of the responsibility from the the, the education and allow it to be done in a group setting. So we take things directly out of our curriculum. And so a great example is I know 14 families that are doing a a synergy group up in northern Missouri, and they drive up to 40 miles to be together once a week. Um, And they're out in the middle of the country. If you're in a city, you can get a lot closer together. But what they do is they take and it gives them that gives them uh, opportunities to to do speeches, to share hands on projects, to do things together once a week. Um, and we would draw them directly from the curriculum. So they're all using the same curriculum. The difference between a synergy group and a co-op is a synergy group is using, for us, it's using my father's will curriculum all at the same level, at the same time. 
so that you can share the responsibility as families to accomplish the task. Um, and it's once a week. Now, when we moved into the high school, we actually have partnered together with an organization called Be Unbound. Um, their their uh, URL is beunbound.us. Uh, it is the old College Plus program from oh, like... Oh, sure. Thir- like, and it got sold sure. and it got woke eyes and it got into peers, <laughs> uh, Pearson academics. Oh, and, wow. And, and, and last year, during 2020, it was handed back over to a Christian friend oh, of mine. Oh, really? And we are partnering with them. And so at our high school now, we have a declare what we call Declare Coaching, which is kind of like a Synergy group. It's more of an online group in which you meet with a coach and six to eight other children that are on the same curriculum as you. So you start on the same day in August or September and you go through and every other Friday you meet with a coach um, and five five or six other kids and you have a conversation about what you've been learning this these past two weeks. Fantastic. That's a lot Um, of what we're doing here in San Diego uh, with Chula Vista Christian University. That is just phenomenal. We're going to take a commercial break right now, but when I come back, I want to talk a little bit more about the benefits of the multi-age model, because this is a big new paradigm for many of our parents. 93% of the parents in our San Diego systems are coming straight out of public school, where of course, kids have been generationally segregated and we're feeling the negative effects of that. So when come back. I will talk more about this. Let's pause for a commercial break right now. And when we come back, we're going to talk more about the benefits of the multi-age model and how activating some of these mindsets can activate your faith, reset your family culture, and transform your interpersonal relationships. I'm Dr. Lisa Dunn, and thanks for joining us here on Mindset Matters. We'll be right back after this break. Welcome back. I'm your host, Dr. Lisa Dunn, and thanks for joining us here on Mindset Matters. Today, we're unpacking some practical tools in education that will activate your faith, reset your family culture, and transform your interpersonal relationships. If you're just joining the show, we're talking about the 10 toxic traits of government education and what happens over time as our children are indoctrinated in these systems. I have as my guest on today's show, David Hazel, the founder of My Father's World Curriculum, and we are talking right now about the benefits of the multi-age model, what we would call the one-room schoolhouse. I've shared on the show before that my grandmother taught for 50 years and her first teaching assignment was in the one-room schoolhouse and the natural mentorship model that flows out of that that's so lacking in today's culture. David, talk a little bit about that because that's been one of your your real focal points in developing your curricula. Yes, we developed a multi-age program from the beginning because we see the benefit of children studying together at different age groups. Uh, But before I do, I want to go back to something that I just discovered recently because I've been doing a timeline of public education. And I go back all the way to 1865. Well, I go back further than that, 1820. But in 1865, the Wisconsin Teachers Association said children are a property of the state. Hmm. And others said that post-Civil War American schools were to serve the ideological and political, not intellectual purposes. They were, to not, they were not to generate independent, self-governing citizens, but they were to produce citizens who could be governed. Wow. And in the article, they said they came up with a word. The intellectual development of each and every child was to be replaced with a new political value. And this political value was called socialization. 
That is incredible. (laughs) Better defined by me as socialization means becoming a socialist, Mm, an obedient socialist. Absolutely. And so when I hear that word (laughs) socialization, the reality is Mm. to socialize a child is to socialize them across age groups. So a one-room schoolhouse or the multi-age allows older children to serve younger kids and younger kids to learn from older kids. Yes. Um, and and when my son graduated from uh, high school and went to a college, the dean of students at the University of Missouri Science and Technology said to us as parents that he can identify homeschoolers from the very moment all the kids gather their, the new students. Mm. He said, because homeschoolers are the most social. Yes, They look the teachers in the eye right. and they move across the room and around the room. They don't click up in their little uh, pods. Yes. Okay. They're, 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 they're safety zones. And the whole segregation of second graders and third graders and mm. fourth graders and fifth graders it is actually designed to separate us yes. and prepare us to be obedient. It actually is a, in 1901, um, Edward, Edward Ross said, the role of education is to collect little plastic lumps of dough from private households and shape them on our social meeting board. Wow. Um, these are the things that multi-age education It's phenomenal. Now, people will say, oh, how can you teach a fourth grader and a sixth grader or eighth grader at the same time? Most people don't understand that there's only two grade level subjects. The two grade level subjects are language, arts and math. You have to learn to read before you can learn to write. You have to learn to write before you can learn to write sentences. You have to learn to write sentences before you do paragraphs, paragraphs before you do papers. Right. It builds up. Math is the same way. So. When you do a multi-age education, even in the one-room schoolhouse, you're still going to address the kindergartners as kindergarten re- learning to read and first graders as learning, you know, more to read and 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 uh, eighth graders as more independent readers. But you, those are going to be their language, arts, and math. Every other subject, science, art, Bible, music, character development, history, geography, those are all multi-age topics. If you're studying Abraham Lincoln, a preschooler can scribble and mom can write Abe. Mm. Uh, Basically, a kindergartner can write Abe for himself or hat and draw a picture. A a, a third grader will write two paragraphs or or two sentences. A, A sixth grader, three paragraphs. And an eighth grader, a report. All on Abraham Lincoln. So you have a one room theme. In all of your other subject matters. The other thing is, is that you don't have to separate history from science. Science was discovered historically. We do that. We, we were one of the few curriculum that puts our history in the same chronological order we do our, our, our history because the history built, the history, science builds itself upon historical discoveries from mm, previous times. That's good. Or if you're studying Galileo in, in, um, in your, history, why not study astronomy at the same time? Why do we separate these as if they're different? And then we separate Bible from, like, Bible's not history. It's a topic. It's a devotion, right? Yeah. We It's not a devotion. Mm. It is what should be penetrating through every single part of our curriculum. And that's, I mean, everything we do every day. 
Yes. When we sit down, when we lie, on the, when we walk mm-hmm. along the streets, when we wake up, it should all be Bible. So where is Bible in our education? Yeah. I mean, I was just reading yesterday um, one of our great forefathers that um, signed the, the, the uh, Declaration of Independence. Basically, he said, Bible needs to be in every school. Yeah. Now, at that point, he wasn't talking about government-supported schools because there wasn't right. government-supported <laughs> right. schools until post-1865. Right. He was talking about the one-room schoolhouse. He right. was talking about the neighborhood school. Right. He was talking about the parent-directed tutorial-based school. Yeah. Most of our presidents were tutorial-based. That's right. That's right. Talk to us about the the practical application of the math and language arts piece in the one-room schoolhouse model. How how do you practically, this is a question we get from a lot of parents who are frustrated with the multi-age grouping and we're, we're very passionate about it, so we keep forcing it. <laughs> but I'd, I'd love to hear just kind of how you see that as a practical approach, since those two distinctives are, are a little different in the way we teach those in terms of the multi-age grouping. Well, number one, as much of your language arts that you can put into your rest of your curriculum and that's, you can make it multi-age by, Great. you write a sentence, you write a paragraph, Good. you write a paper, okay? That's language yeah. arts, which, which is what we do with ours. We put our language arts in. So then our language arts shouldn't take more than about 30 minutes of, uh, of, of time per child. Now, 30 minutes of time doesn't mean 30 minutes of my time. It means a three-minute spelling test, and then they work on their spelling words. And I can do six different levels in a matter of about 15 minutes, and they all go work on their words, and they're at different levels, right, because of depending on their age. And I did that in a multi-age classroom uh, using spelling power, which is basically taking a spelling test every day and not doing what Charlotte Mason called twaddle, the useless repetition of things I already know, but most spelling <laughs> programs are like, here's 10 words to, or 20 words to study for the week. And I know 19 of them. Why am I going to study the 19 <laughs> and put them upside down on a ladder and put them in a sentence and, right. you know, do all this. So we just say, take a test every day. And the one word they don't know, they can work on Fantastic. And test them on five or six words. So that's kind of language arts. And then the other thing is it's a simple introduction five-minute introduction to language arts, and then they're independently working when you move the next group into your your space. Now, depending on how many kids you have, you may have three second graders if you're in a multi-age thing. If you're in a family, what what we do is we talk about having independent, um, independent blocks. So let's say from 9.30 to 10.30 is going to be independent. During that independent time, they all have different independent work to work on. You work; They're working on math. They're working on, on language arts. They're working on book basket. They're not interacting with each other or with you. And then you're able to pull and say, okay, the one, the one of you that work on language arts, come over here. I'm going to teach you your math for five minutes. So the next time we have independent work, you're ready to do your math. Right. And then you move them into the next independent block. And we keep an independent whiteboard. And I always tell people, you instead of checking off when something's done, you I tell you to put it on the whiteboard and check it when it's not done and have them erase it so that slowly you see the whole board get clean rather than trying to hunt up where the mixing, missing block is. It's like it the check mark should be big and bold like when a child comes up to you, well, what should I do? You just look over and say, the, the one that's checked. 
It's really good. <laughs> really great practical approach. I, I love that, David. That's phenomenal. Tell us a little bit more about our listeners, where they can find your information and learn more about My Father's World. Well, there's a, multiple places you can learn out about My Father's World, but the, the biggest places to start with is mfwbooks.com. Uh, that's going to be the main website. If you put slash classical, you'll get to the classical education information. If you put slash Charlotte Mason, you'll get to Charlotte Mason information. Uh, so you can do some research there to get other places. Uh, we are also christianpreschool.com. If you go on to christianpreschool.com, that is my father's world. We've split off our bottom three programs and put them on a separate site because we discovered that preschoolers don't want to be called homeschoolers. They're new millennial moms and they're just like, I don't want to homeschool. I just want to do some preschool. Okay. Uh, so we started a preschool website and we can also do small preschools that way. Um, journeyeveryday.com is a Bible blog that we can get moms involved in so they're reading their Bible every day and preparing themselves. Those are just a few of the ways you can get a hold of us. Phenomenal. David Hazel, it has been such a joy to have you on the show. I think we're going to have to schedule a second show and have you come back and talk more about the philosophical underpinnings because you are doing some phenomenal work at My Father's World. If you're new to the show or if you're homeschooling for the first time, scroll back through my podcast for interviews, tips of the trade. Be sure to check out what we're accomplishing in and through our partnerships with parents and the local church in cbcu.us. That's Chula Vista Christian University, the first modern university built on the homeschool model. And pastors, be sure to DM me for help on getting your church active in this educational support realm. If we all work together, we can absolutely shift the trajectory for the next generation. Again, I'm Dr. Lisa Dunn, and thanks for joining me on today's show. I'll be back next week with more of our toxic trait analysis and what you can do to break free of the system. We'll see you then. Thanks again for joining us here on The Communication Architect. If you have questions about today's episode or if there are topics you'd like to see us address, send your comments via Instagram to at Dr. Lisa Dunn or via email to contact at drlisadunn.com. That's D-R-L-I-S-A-D-U-N-N-E.com. And remember, strategic communication will help you build greater emotional health and relational resilience. So don't miss the next episode. I'm Dr. Lisa Dunn, and I look forward to talking with you next time right here on The Communication Architect.